Welcome to The Great Divorce Podcast, hosted by divorce financial analyst and retirement planning counselor, Andrew Hatherly. Join Andrew and guest experts as they help late life divorcees build the financial and mental foundation for a meaningful future. There is life after divorce. Now on to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 34 of The Great Divorce Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about divorce finances, specifically what I consider to be the two most important personal financial tracking tools you should be using in divorce. And these are your personal budget and your net worth statement. Now, please, before you change the channel, bear with me for a few minutes here. I understand budgeting sends a shiver down most people's spines. I get it. Honestly, it's not something that I enjoy either. And I remember having to do it probably for the first time during my own divorce. Now, of course, budgeting is a very important tool in helping you navigate divorce before, during, and after the process. And we'll get into details in a few minutes. But essentially, your personal budget lists all your sources of monthly income minus your monthly expenses. After doing that simple arithmetic, there's either money left over, which you can add to savings or spend or a combination of the two, or you're in an overspending situation, not good, and may find that you're taking on debt to meet expenses. The other tool I want to talk about is the net worth statement. Your statement of net worth is essentially a list of all your assets, the things you own, minus all your liabilities. These are your debts. The net worth statement typically doesn't take as long to compile as a detailed budget, and tracking your net worth is really easy. I started doing it on a quarterly basis in 2017, still do it to this day. So in a divorce case, your attorney will typically ask you to list all of your assets, your liabilities, your income, and your expenses. In my state of Nevada, you'll be asked to put all this information on what's called a financial disclosure form. I've seen a lot of financial disclosure forms, and in reading them, it becomes clear that people hate to put together budgets or even net worth statements. People usually take forever to put these forms together, and when they do, they're usually messy and incomplete. And that's really a shame because the more effort you take in putting together a clear, detailed list of all your assets, debts, income, and expenses the easier you're making your attorney's job. Now, I know it's not all about making your attorney's job easier, but I know that an attorney will appreciate a well-crafted financial disclosure form. I shouldn't say crafted, just an accurate, complete, concise, and neat financial disclosure form, and that they'll enjoy working with you, which is ultimately good for your case. I know as a divorce financial analyst, I'm always very grateful when I'm working with a client who takes a lot of care over compiling their financial data. So let's start with a budget. If you prefer, call it a spending plan. I know many people hate the word budget so much that advisors try to make the process more palatable by calling it a spending plan. Whatever works. I really want to focus on budgeting for your post-divorce life. It's important that you map this out during the divorce process as you and your attorney and your financial advisor work towards 
a divorce settlement. As a financial advisor working in the divorce world, it's very important to look to the future and to ensure that the property division settlement and any spousal support lay a solid financial foundation for your new life after divorce. So let's go over the key steps creating a post-divorce budget or spending plan. First, you're going to need to look at your income. Now, your income is likely to have been reduced after divorce as you may be moving from a two-income household to a one-income household. And of course, that implies a certain change in your living standard. You're going to have to look at which expenses you may need to cut back. But let's wait for a minute on expenses. Let's look at income. This is typically your job, any spousal support you're receiving, or potentially child support. Now, given that this podcast is aimed at people getting divorced over the age of 50, child support is rarely an income source. In fact, Social Security may be an income source. Now, I should say with regards to Social Security, if your marriage was more than 10 years long, you're entitled to earn benefits from your ex-spouse's record. So I suggest you listen to Episode 3 of the Great Divorce Podcast, where I discuss Social Security benefits in quite a bit of detail. I also want to add a word on spousal support, because that's likely to come to an end at some stage in the future if you're getting it. In fact, some types of spousal support are just meant to help you get on your feet and maybe pay for some vocational training to help you earn a better income in the future. My point is that when putting together your post-divorce budget, which includes spousal support, you should always be aware of the day that that spousal support may go away. In this case, you might want to work with a divorce financial planner such as myself to determine how much of that income should be put aside in savings for retirement versus important expenses, and these might include education expenses that need to be made today. All right, so let's look at expenses. This requires a little more work, just that you do your best to all of your diverse expenses on a spreadsheet like Microsoft Excel or Google Sheets. List your expenses on a yellow pad of paper if that works for you. To help you in putting together this list, you can look at the financial disclosure form your attorney asks you to fill out, or you can look at any number of budgeting software sites on the internet. In the show notes of this podcast, I've included a PDF of the budget sheet I use with clients, which details a wide variety of expenses. It also helps to look at your credit card statements or checking account statements to help put a comprehensive list together. Make your budget based on monthly income and expenses. Most people get paid every couple of weeks, so it's easy to track um, monthly income. Spousal support is typically paid monthly, and most major expenditures like mortgage and utilities are paid pretty much on a monthly basis. For those expenses that don't happen monthly, like maybe a big trip, travel expenses, buying Christmas gifts or birthday gifts. Add each of these categories up separately and then divide them by 12 to enter them as a monthly expense. It's important not to take your married expenses and just divide them in two. You're going to be living in a separate household and you have your own set of unique expenses. So now it's time to prioritize your expenses. What are the absolute necessities that need to be paid? And what are expenses that you can eliminate or at least reduce? Immediately after divorce, there may still be lingering divorce expenses like attorney's fees, for instance. 
you want to get these taken care of first, not only because you have to pay off your attorney, but you want to move on with your life and you don't want to be paying attorney's fees months after the divorce is finalized. Of course, there may be new expenses like a new car or a new house, or you may be assuming 100% of the responsibility for the mortgage if you're keeping the house. These are all priorities, along with obvious items like food, transportation, and insurance. The next step is to determine which of your expenses you could live without, or perhaps reduce. These we call discretionary expenses, or simply put, items you want but don't necessarily need. Now consider gym memberships. Now I'm a big believer in keeping physically fit, especially after divorce, because it contributes to mental fitness as well as physical fitness. So instead of cutting out the gym membership, maybe you just belong to a less fancy gym. I've experienced the $150 a month gym and I've experienced the $20 a month gym. And I can tell you, you don't get seven times the value in the expensive gym. Other expenses that fall into this category of wants rather than needs are restaurants, sporting events, spa treatments, golf outings, concerts. You may find that you don't have to eliminate these entirely, but maybe you golf once every two weeks as opposed to once a week or go to a restaurant once every two weeks instead of five times a month. So once you've compiled all your monthly income sources and subtracted all your monthly expenses, you'll see if there's any money left over or whether you're overspending. If there's any money left over, my suggestion is to use it to pay down any high interest rate debt. We'll talk about this more in a minute, but that would typically be credit cards or car payments, not mortgage payments. Which brings up another point. I know a lot of people budget for making an additional payment to the mortgage. This may have worked out fine pre-divorce if there were no credit card or other high interest rate debts. But in a post-divorce world, I would say in most cases, it's worth discussing with your financial advisor whether that extra mortgage payment makes sense in view of your current budget situation. Now, if you find your monthly expenses exceed your monthly income and you're overspending, well then, Adjustments need to be made. And this is where perhaps we may need to revisit priorities. If some of those unnecessary expenses can't be cut for whatever reason, you're going to need to find more sources of income. Everybody's different. Some people might be willing to take on a couple extra hours a week to ensure that they can go to their favorite restaurant a couple times a month. Other people are willing to make that sacrifice and slash their dining out budget so as not to have to work any more hours. Once you've created your post-divorce budget, it's important to monitor it periodically. You need to make sure that you're staying on track and that no unforeseen expenses are throwing a wrench into the machinery. We've all heard from financial planners about the effect that a $5 coffee at Starbucks every day can have on our long-term financial well-being. Think about it. If you have $5 caramel macchiato every day, that's over $1,800 dollars a year or $150 a month. It's important to remember that a budget isn't a static thing. It can change and should change over time. When you emerge from divorce and put together a budget, you might cut out streaming services like HBO or the Disney Network, whatever. But as time goes on, and maybe you get a raise at work or pay off various debts, 
you may find that you've now got the income to reinstate some of these things that you cut. Or you may just find that you didn't miss these things at all and that you'd rather put the income towards a travel budget, maybe focus more on experiences than things in your new life. Earlier, I spoke about the property settlement and building a solid foundation for life after divorce. Well, words are one thing and feelings are quite another. And let's face it, we're bound to feel a little down, dejected, or even depressed when we don't have the income after divorce that we had when we were married or when our net worth has been cut in half. This is where tracking our finances can play an important psychological role. Many times, we'll incur divorce-related expenses like attorney's fees, moving out expenses, any number of expenses that tend to occur during the divorce process, and these will figure prominently in our budget as priority expenses that need to be dealt with at the expense of more pleasurable discretionary items like restaurants, travel, salons, spa treatments, etc. But by updating our budget periodically, we should see some of these priority expenses that are incurred as a result of divorce will ultimately be paid off, providing us with more discretionary income for our enjoyment. So let's focus for a few minutes on net worth. I said at the outset that net worth is the value of all the things you own, your assets, minus the total amount of your debts, which are your liabilities. The good thing about tracking your net worth is that it's so much easier than doing a budget. Don't get me wrong, you still need to do a budget or a spending plan. For older divorcees not yet retired, and I can speak to this from experience, having been 52 when I got divorced, it can be a real downer when you've seen your net worth cut in half as you approach retirement, whether that be 5, 10, or 15 years away. After my divorce, I found that tracking my net worth on a quarterly basis was a very positive experience in showing me that I was on the right track and building momentum to regain the wealth that I had lost. What I did was, in January of 2017, I created an Excel spreadsheet, and if I can create a spreadsheet, anybody can, and listed all my assets, starting with my house, my 401k, IRAs, car, checking account balances, and my business. Under that, I listed all my debts, the mortgage, the car payment, credit cards. Let me digress for a minute. You heard me mention the car payment. Shortly after my divorce, I needed to purchase a new car. My 2008 Pontiac Solstice had begun to play tricks on me, and it was a 50-50 proposition at any red light whether or not I would get away without stalling. Now, normally, whenever I've purchased a car, I've purchased it 100% cash. After the divorce, I really wasn't in a position to put down that kind of chunk of change to buy the car outright, so I had to finance it. And boy, that was something I did not like. As a financial advisor, I always advise people that there's good debt and then there's bad debt. Good debt, like a home mortgage, goes toward purchasing shelter for your family, and it's an asset that typically appreciates over time and for which the interest is deductible. Car debt is another story altogether. We all know that new cars lose about a quarter of their value as soon as you drive them off the lot and depreciate pretty quickly 
on an annual basis after that. So let's get back to your net worth statement. The beauty of the net worth arithmetic is that your net worth can go up even if your bank account or your retirement account or your home equity are flat or even go down somewhat. If your debts or or liabilities are decreasing faster than your assets, then your net worth is still showing improvement. I'll give you an example going back to that car payment that I used to have. I made it a point to pay that car payment down as quickly as I possibly could for my income. So a lot of my income wasn't going to rebuilding my retirement savings. Maybe a little bit of it was, but for for quite a while, a big chunk of that was going to pay off the car loan. And so there was that period for about a year where the bottom line on my quarterly net worth statement was still improving considerably, even though my checking account balance or my retirement account balances were pretty stagnant. It's all in the net worth arithmetic. Assets minus debts equal net worth. My assets were pretty much the same, but the debt was going down. So that meant that my net worth was growing. The real fun in updating my net worth statement quarterly was that after that car payment had been paid off, those neglected retirement account savings started to get more money that had previously been directed to paying off the car debt. The only time I would say not to be in a hurry to pay off car debt is if you've got a lot of high-interest credit card debt. If you've got extra cash sitting in your bank account or a brokerage account, it makes sense to pay off those credit cards as soon as you can, if, especially if they have a ridiculously high interest rate. Be sure to speak to your financial advisor before taking any money from retirement accounts where penalties and taxes might come into play. Our conversation today is really just focused on money. Other episodes of the podcast have discussed the relationship between money and meaning and the role of our work, a key income source, and the satisfaction we get from our lives. Sometimes we get obsessed with the idea of retiring at a certain age and we may feel dejected if the money arithmetic doesn't support those retirement goals. But I always say it's important that we have something to retire to, not just something to retire from. And if there's anything we can do to change our work so that it becomes more enjoyable, we may find that we don't have any issue whatsoever with working past that initial arbitrary retirement date we might have set 10, 15, or 20 years ago. And we may end up benefiting in kind of a triple way, doing work we enjoy, which helps others, while simultaneously seeing improvements in our discretionary spending capabilities and our net worth. That's it for today's episode. I hope you found it useful. For more info, please check out my websites, transcendretirement.net and wiserdivorcesolutions.com. Bye for now. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of The Gray Divorce Podcast. To learn more or get in contact with your host, you can visit Andrew's website at transcendretirement.net. Also, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Information provided is educational only and should not be construed as legal or tax advice. Each situation is unique and should be discussed with your tax or legal advisor prior to implementation. 
Andrew Hatherley is not an attorney and does not provide legal advice. Information provided is financial in nature. Advisory services offered through Hatherley Capital Management, LLC. Divorce financial analysis services offered through Wiser Divorce Solutions, an affiliated company.